Les reckons you can forget about the stool and the table. You'd think I was asking for a wheelchair ramp. Tell him that this is not okay. And if something's not done, I'll complain outside. Hello and a very warm welcome to Talking Point, the controversial podcast where we debate the issues that matter to you. Today, workplace disability discrimination. Have you been affected? Listen to this and other episodes in the series and find out how you can contact the podcast by visiting talkingpoint.site. That's workplace disability discrimination. Our talking point today. Hello and a very warm welcome to Talking Point. I'm Philip Anderson. Well, today we're going to be discussing workplace disability discrimination with the help of two examples and finding out what is meant by reasonable adjustment and why workplace disability discrimination still exists despite the Equality Act we hear from listeners. And as to whether there is a case to answer regarding these two examples, we are going to be leaving that up to you to draw your own conclusions. Well, let's meet the team. We have two guests appearing on the programme today from two different parts of the UK. Martin Rhodes is one of our contributors who has come up with one of the scenarios for Uh, workplace disability discrimination. He joins us down the line now from his place in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent. Martin, a very warm welcome. Thank you very much, Philip. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And it says here you'd like to be my co-presenter on Talking Point. Do I take it you think we'd make a good team? (laughs) I do. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time I've co-presented on uh, one of your programmes, so yeah, I think based on past experience, we'd make a pretty good team. You're not thinking of being my sidekick then? <laughs> uh, just co-presenter. Absolutely. I think that would be brilliant. And someone else who used to appear on my programmes quite frequently. In fact, she was a regular contributor when I used to uh, present Eyes on the County over on Stafford FM, is Frances Leckie. Frances is editor of Independent Living, Uh, where she's been editor-in-chief since 1999, from where she's been providing free information ever since. Frances, a very warm welcome to Talking Point. Hello, Philip. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much. And although you're not a qualified legal expert, you do have 20-odd years, if not longer, experience in the field of disability, do you not? Um, I do, yes, hear a lot of stories on independent living. Absolutely. And for the benefit of listeners who are not familiar with independent living, how would you sum it up? I would say it's the longest established free information website in the UK for disabled people, family carers and care professionals. Oh, excellent and well summarised. And I can honestly say I've enjoyed being part of the showcase. Well, thank you. Disability discrimination. Have any of you been affected by it? Um, Martin? Uh, I have, yeah, um, on a number of occasions. Uh, There was a time when I was 
trying to beta test some software for a ham radio organization because I, I'm a qualified ham, a ham radio operator. So I was trying to beta test this software and they said, there's no way that we can make it accessible for you because we'd have to rebuild it again from the ground up uh, because the software was Java based. And I thought that was extremely discriminatory, especially considering that there was the beta, that there was a chance to beta test it in the first place. Wow. Well, I've had a sim- well, I've had an experience of disability discrimination several occasions, like yourself, really. And mine's been taxi related, where I'm no longer a guide dog, a guide dog owner today. But in the past, I've been refused on countless occasions access into taxis. And it's one of the things we're going to be looking at today briefly, and hopefully in the coming weeks, uh, this whole issue of despite the legislation. Why does discrimination still prevail? One of the other things upon which this podcast is predicated is people's pet peeves. Things that go from the mild things that annoy people, such as uh, annoying chewing, like people crunching apples or crisps, which I think fall under the umbrella of misophonia, to the more serious, such as the things we're talking about today. Uh, workplace disability discrimination, which isn't really a pet peeve, but things that really do anger people, set fires in bellies, etc. Let's find out from both of you, really, what your pet peeves have been of late. Francis? Well, um, in the interest of, of being serious and possibly contributing to, to the episode, I, I thought of a a pet peeve that's related to the topic we're talking about, and that's organisations that use health and safety as a justification for discrimination. This whole thing of telling wheelchair users that they can't come in because they're a fire risk. Um, And have you covered this on independent living? I believe it has been mentioned once or twice, yes. (laughs) And I'm sure listeners can relate to that. Martin? Um, for me, it's if you are planning to sort of organise something with somebody or, you know, you're trying to get something done, for example. I help a lot of people install different uh, pieces of software. When they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there at this time or we'll, we'll do it at this time and then for whatever reason they don't or they don't turn up, that drives me crazy. Or just in general, if someone says they're actually going to do something and they don't, it just drives me crazy because I'm the kind of person who, if I'm doing something, I'll have to get it done as soon as possible. He is Martin Rhodes, she's Francis Leckie, I'm Philip Anderson, and this is Talking Point. So what is workplace disability discrimination? Well, it can take the form of insulting comments to your employer, putting barriers in the way of you going for promotion, to even employers refusing to make a reasonable adjustment to enable you to do your job properly, as in the case of this example. Roger. Did you want to see me? Take a seat. Uh, Look, Les reckons you can forget about the stool and the table, and he thinks that you're being quite unreasonable. What's the big deal? Well, Les says if your back is still that crook, you should take some more time off or or see how you go on a three or four hour day just for a while. You'd think I was asking for a wheelchair ramp. Tell him that this is not okay. And if something's not done, I'll complain outside. 
or go ahead. I will. Let someone else judge whether it's reasonable you or know, not. Have you thought about it? Have you thought what it's going to be like with your mates down on the floor and they see you sitting in this so? little silly chair? It's not about my mates, it's about my back. That was a snapshot of an organisation handling a request from an employee for a stool to use at work, which was refused. Well, this is where I bring in Martin to explore our second um, example of workplace disability discrimination. This is a question of where gender takes precedence over disability. Martin, thank you very much indeed for bringing this to our attention. No problem at all. And again, um, we're only interested in the facts to the case. Um, and we're not interested in names of people involved or places of where this has actually occurred. So, again, if there's a case to answer, we're leaving that up to you, the listener, um, to draw your own conclusions. But, Martin, perhaps you could start off by giving us the context, the facts to the case, uh, by setting out for us exactly how you see this uh, panning out. Because... I think there is a question of rapidity here, the speed at which it was expected to be implemented when a guy at a place of employment decided he wanted to switch genders and a meeting was called. Uh, tell us more about this, because the issue with disability, um, I think, is a very, very poignant one here. Yes, absolutely, uh, Philip, and it's something that... Uh affected me quite strongly, which is why I wanted to bring it to the attention of yourself and the listeners. Basically, there was a situation where a guy wanted to change uh, his gender. And as you said, there was a meeting called at the workplace and each employee was told to treat said person as a new employee. So basically, suppose that they've never worked here before. And as of Monday, you have to treat them as a female. Even though that you know, even though that they'd gone through no transformation whatsoever, you know they still looked male. They still looked the same as they did the week before, but they were expected to change their whole opinion of them and treat them completely differently as an employee. And there was a situation where one of the employees was asked to go into the chip shop and purchase lunch for this other particular employee because they didn't want to go into the chip shop and purchase their own lunch because. They thought they'd be treated differently because they tried. They've decided to change their identity, which I thought was really disrespectful. I mean, if, if you want something, irrespective of who you are, your gender, if you want something, then go and go and ask for it. Go and purchase it. Why? If if you're that serious about changing your gender, why should you be ashamed of it? Why get someone else to go and do the work for you? And the interesting issue regarding the person with the disability who was, you know, involved in this. Um, they have autism. Yes, and um, for them to come to terms with something so swiftly and to process that information was a huge burden. Absolutely it was, yeah. Because people with autism, as I'm sure most of you listeners are aware, are they rely on you know, routine, job fluidity, you know, things working and being organised in a certain way. And it was very difficult for that particular employee to make those adjustments. And, what, and to, to just have it sprung on them like that was just absolutely really difficult. Absolutely. And the other side to this is 
um, a meeting was called to discuss with all the employees, you know, employees, how they, sh- you know, what the protocol is for dealing with someone who switches gender. But when the person with autism joined the company, no such meeting was called. Absolutely not. No, so people no, could no understand about his autism. Yeah, no, absolutely not. There was no no reasonable adjustment, no meeting planned at all. It, it, it was just, here's the job, get on with it, basically. That's really sad. It is. Francis, if I could bring you in here. Listening to that story, how common would you say that incident is? And how would you compare that with, say, the incident of the unreasonable adjustment, which I think is something we hear more of? It's really difficult to say how how common this this sort of thing is. It's a it's a, a very specific example. It's it's sort of difficult to to really um, reckon how how often such things might be happening. But I I'd say the employer obviously thought through the rights of the transgender staff member quite carefully and took took steps to try and ensure that the workplace and their colleagues wouldn't be breaching those rights, but completely failed to consider what the the knock-on effects might be on other staff members, particularly this the, the colleague with autism, uh, who ended up feeling discriminated against in in two ways. Firstly, because no no account was taken of their difficulties processing the information about their colleague with the idea that you should suddenly switch from considering somebody to be of one gender to imagining that you're working with them for the first time in a different gender. It's it's probably quite a leap for anybody. And the second was that it then became clear to them that that no such efforts had been made to to help them settle into the the workplace when they first joined that that colleagues hadn't been briefed about their autism and how how they could accommodate it respectfully uh, at work so it it seems like a a hierarchy of discrimination which is something not not just in this case, but um, seems to happen quite generally. And and perhaps disability discrimination seems to rank more lowly than other kinds sometimes. Indeed. And I know you're no legal expert, but in terms of your own experience of workplace disability discrimination and the corresponding guidelines given uh, for employers uh, in, you know, in the Equality Act, do you feel, or are you getting a sense that something along the line has failed uh, persons with disabilities in the workplace, be that the legislation or be that something else? Yes, I, I, I think that is the case. I think that frequently people don't necessarily disclose that they have a disability when they apply for a job because their experience is that they will then not be interviewed and, and not get a job at all. Often employers 
aren't aware of their duty to make reasonable adjustments to enable their staff members to to do their jobs in a in a reasonable way people are worried about asking for adjustments because they're nervous about perhaps losing their job or losing opportunities for promotion so i think i think there's a a lot of ignorance and and some fear and some confusion the the whole idea of reasonable adjustments is is quite a a woolly concept and obviously something that can be debated in various different ways Indeed, and I would suggest that we hold the thought there, Francis, um, because while we give a moment uh, to reflect on that whole concept of reasonable adjustment and the issue of clarity when it comes to the Equality Act, where some people feel the ambiguous language used in the Act has led to workplace disability discrimination occurring today. So how does one assess what is a reasonable adjustment? Well, employment expert barrister uh, Nick Singer explains. The sort of things that you think about are um, the cost of it. Is the reasonable adjustment itself going to actually get rid of the substantial disadvantage? Is it practical? You have to think about the size of the employer. So a big organisation, you know, Microsoft would have a very different burden on it to a, a high street dental practice. That was employment barrister um, Nick Singer there on the subject of how one assesses what constitutes reasonable adjustment. And we've been looking at that in 2022, a total of two £165,000 was awarded for a single case at an employment tribunal for workplace disability discrimination. And a similar payout, uh, £30 or £40,000 lower, was awarded in the previous year, suggesting to us that workplace disability discrimination is a serious concern and badly in need of addressing, despite the introduction of the legislation. We're now 28 years into the legislation, starting originally with the Disability Discrimination Act and then going on to the Equality Act in 2010. Francis, is it clear from what you're hearing here that this whole issue of ambiguous language is probably responsible for a lot of the misinterpretations or why you feel workplace disability discrimination exists. I know you touched on it earlier, but I'd be interested to hear your sort of elucidated comments. Mm. Yes, I I think that ambiguous language... um, is certainly detrimental to to people being clear about what their rights are and and also uh, employers being clear about what their duties are. And you're always looking to 
balance one person's rights against those of their colleagues or the resources of the business, trying to decide what's reasonable. Um, there, there's just a lot of complexity there. So it, it's not really surprising that um, there are as many cases of um, discrimination as there are. Indeed. And yet we do hear some encouraging news that 41% of cases that end up at tribunal end up winning. Yes, that's that's good good news. You just you just wonder how many cases don't go to before a tribunal, how many people give up before they start, because the whole idea is just too daunting. Um, mo- most of us tend to feel a bit overwhelmed at the idea of any sort of legal proceedings and seeing yourself as an individual taking on an organisation with all the resources that they might have at, at their disposal, it it can feel like quite a, a one-sided battle, can't it? It certainly can, and there are a lot of considerations to be taken into account when one is looking at the whole issue of disability and discrimination. And if we are going to be equating this with a reasonable adjustment, for example, Uh, When a company is expected to make reasonable adjustments to accommodate the needs of a person with a disability, there are a number of factors they have to do, they have to take into account. Is it short term or is it long term in respect of the disability? And I think under the Act, it says that the disability has to be at least 12 months. It's going to be lasting for at least 12 months before an employer is able to then justify making that capital outlay to make that reasonable adjustment, which brings us interestingly onto the issue of cost. Well, um, yes, I mean, certainly it's true that um, you you need to have a a long-term disability or or health condition Mm. before um, you're, you're going to be protected from discrimination under the Equality Act. And that does include Um, both physical disabilities and cognitive disabilities. Yes, yes, that's right. So you you can imagine somebody perhaps um, having to wait quite a long time before they're, they're able to get their employer to consider making reasonable adjustments so that they can do their job well. And you might decide that it's it's too difficult to carry on being employed perhaps during that period if if there aren't those reasonable adjustments made for you. Martin, in listening to this, how encouraged are you um, when we have looked at both the cases, um, your example and the example of the organisation refusing to make reasonable adjustment? They were both quite negative cases, um, so there was not one really to balance the other. But in terms of you know where we are 28 years on down the line with the legislation, having gone through two reforms... Um, Some people think it's in need of another reform, um, but worry that there could be ramifications for doing that. Um, How encouraged are you at the moment? Well, I'm very encouraged that the majority of cases have got through tribunal, past tribunal. That's very encouraging news to hear. But you don't hear many people talking about the Equality Act, but you do hear a lot of people say that 
the Disability Discrimination Act isn't worth the paper it's written on. It no longer exists, and it was replaced by the Equality Act, wasn't it, Frances? Yes, that's right. And of course, the the Equality Act sort of bundles in disability discrimination and um, race, all sorts of other discrimination as well, which is perhaps one of the weaknesses of it, actually. Well, a number of you have been in touch with the programme regarding your thoughts on why discrimination still exists today, despite the introduction of the legislation. Melanie Roos was one such listener, and she believes, as Francis was just touching on earlier, that ignorance is partly to blame. I've dealt with this in equality training and even just display screen assessment. So many workplaces are not designed for anyone with a disability. The key concerns are usually around cost. We had crazy feedback when bringing in disabled adaptions to an old building for a well-known charity. We even had comments along the lines of, I'm not happy working with disabled people because I won't take them to the toilet and wipe their bums. Really, I kid you not, that's the level of ignorance. If you say, do you have room in your office for someone with a wheelchair to manoeuvre in between the desks? That's often, oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. What about someone with sight issues? Are they going to be tripping over bins? Um, Are they going to be able to find their way into a kitchen easily and access um, sensible hot water arrangements? It's often just a lack of thought saying, oh, we're disability friendly or we're disability open. People really aren't. Listener Melanie Ruse there and listener Helen Sims is also of the same opinion, although she would like to see more persons with disabilities involved in the decision making process when it comes to exploring what is meant by reasonable adjustment in the workplace. The main problem is still attitudes, and I think that there needs to be some education right from school, including in the workplace. I think that would help massively. I think there needs to be a a person with a disability on every decision-making panel and in every company that actually knows and thinks automatically about the limitations that people face because it's second nature to us. Listener Helen Sims, my thanks to all of you who've got in touch with regard, you know, regarding your comments on this. And it's hopefully going to be opening up the door for us to explore disability discrimination in the wider context uh, going forward. Well, just in conclusion, Francis, I suppose the ultimate question we could perhaps end on, and I suppose there's no real answer to it, but I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, and yourself, Martin, is looking at what we've heard so far, given the fact that we do have protection in place, but discrimination still continues, what do you think would improve the situation going forward? And what's the likelihood of it actually coming to fruition? Francis? Well, I, I think that it would help if organisations could uh, take action on behalf of a person being discriminated against for disability so that you don't always have this David and Goliath set up where um, somebody feels that they're, they're very much on their own. 
Um, again, more awareness of rights. Sometimes people don't even realize that they're being discriminated against, legally speaking. And employers, as we've said, are often blissfully unaware of, of what they should be doing by way of, of making reasonable adjustments. Whether these changes will happen, I, I don't know. Um, I think that the Equality Act is being reviewed at the moment. I believe the government set up a review a couple of years ago, but um, I'm not sure that they're actually looking at the disability discrimination aspect of it. I think they're a bit more focused on the, the currently rather more trendy and topical issues yeah. around gender. I was going to say that, Francis. Do you reckon people with disabilities tend to get the, you know, the thin end of the wedge, the rural deal when it comes to uh, positive reform? Yes, it, quite often it's the um, disa disabled people are, are lower down the... Pecking order. The list, the pecking order, yes, mm. when, it, when it comes to disability discrimination, which, uh, which is a, a great shame. Martin, how do you feel about all of this? Well, I think what one of your listeners mentioned there, I forget who it was during the uh, the interviews there, I think it would be better to have more people with a disability on a work panel or to at least ask the question of people who are disabled, how do you think we could help you? What, do you, what reasonable adjustments do you think we could make to make your experience as an employee run more smoothly? I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Listen, you've both been incredibly um, informative today and have shed some interesting light on what I think is going to be a fascinating topic going forward. Thank you so much for all your contributions and to all our listeners as well uh, for sending in your comments. And to remind you, if you'd like to listen to this programme again, you can do so by going to talkingpoint.site where you can also find out how you can contact us with your own talking points. And if it is you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, you can visit many platforms. It's available on Apple, etc. or wherever it is you happen to consume your media. But subscribing does help others to find us as well. But until next time, thank you very much. And we look forward to another enjoyable debate. Bye-bye for now.